well. Uh, we are slowly making our way through First Peter, and believe it or not, this morning's reading was from our the second week of Advent and preparing to hear uh, the coming of the Lord. And it's actually quoted directly in our text this morning. Can you believe that? And I didn't plan that. That's just the way God works sometimes. God puts obstacles in the way to change messages because uh, we planned these messages out back in August. And, uh, and they've changed two or three times. Tammy can verify that as we've had to update our preaching uh, schedule two or three times over since August. And so what our text is this morning uh, was actually planned to be preached uh, two or three weeks ago. And uh, so I think it's neat the way that God orchestrates these things. And uh, so as we get ready to talk about First Peter, the end of chapter 1, and scoot into chapter 2, I'd ask if you would just uh, with me as we pray to ask God's Holy Spirit to direct your hearts and minds to hear and to listen to and give us wisdom and instruction from his perfect word, not from a perfect preacher, because I'm far from that. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, I'm so grateful for the way that you orchestrate all things, that you work all things according to your purpose, your plan, Because, Lord, you are perfect. It's such a blessing that the way that you use uh, even Raul to orchestrate the music, it is such a blessing. It makes my job so much easier in in preaching the word. And and the way that you orchestrate our schedules and and the way that you use people in decorating and all of these things, it's, it's such a blessing and joy. Uh, to see the way that you use everyone's gifts that brings glory and honor to your name. And Lord, I just pray that whatever the struggles, whatever the heartaches, even whatever the joys are and the exciting things that we get to look forward to, that Lord, that your spirit would direct our hearts, that you would bring comfort and joy and peace, Lord, that surpasses all understanding in times of struggles. We are so thankful to celebrate what you have done for Elsie as as she is now in your presence and getting to see your perfect work and plan in its fulfillment face to face with her Lord and Savior. What joy. And yet at the same time sadness because we don't get to see her face to face. But yet Lord your perfect plan is at work. And Lord, we want to acknowledge that. And so, Lord, I pray with all my heart that your perfect word, as it is proclaimed according to your will and your spirit, would direct our minds to understand what you would want us to know and to take and to use for your glory this morning. That we might not just be hearers of the word, but be doers. And Lord, so fulfilling your commandments to be obedient to you, and to follow your will. And Lord, that we would trust and believe in your perfect plan. And Lord, follow your words. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The end of 1 Peter chapter 1 is quite amazing because as we get there, all he's been talking about is salvation, which is amazing. 
Think about what is going on. The church is enduring hostility. It's enduring suffering. Many things that we see today in a hostile world. By the way, the world is just going to get more and more hostile towards the things of God. And you, I mean, you see it. I mean, we have people today condemning VeggieTales because they say that VeggieTales is racist and all sorts of crazy things. Um, the world is getting more and more hostile towards the things of God. If there's anything that has to do with God, it is now uh, injustice and racist. Or uh, not, you know, ju- you know it's, it's against social justice if it's the things of the Lord. doesn't necessarily mean that it's injustice. But there is crazy things happening. And in all of these things that the church that was going during this period of time... They say, well, look, what do we do? How do we endure? How do we endure all these horrific things that are going on? And the first thing that Peter goes to is remember your salvation. Not only remember your salvation, but remember your great God. And we should, we should, that should surprise us and that should amaze us because that's the first part, the first key to enduring the hostile things. But maybe in your mind you're saying, okay, I I realize how great our salvation is. I I see all the things that God is doing. And I also see how great God is and that we should fear him and not fear him as in being terrified as in uh, some phobia, but we should fear and be in such awe and respect of God. And so Well, now what? Can you imagine the church back then saying, okay, Peter, we know that. We know this to be true. We understand that. But now what? Now what do we do? It's like, have you ever, maybe, you know, I know Jim and a few others, maybe you're you're the teacher and you say, you you teach and you say, you got to do this, 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 this. You need to know this, 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 and this. And the teacher and all the students are sitting there like, so because they don't know what to do with the information. And they're like, so what? So who cares about all this information? What do we do with it? I, I can, I've heard my kids many times, I can't stand algebra. We're never going to use it. And then I see Jared use it when he's watching football. Or I see Kelsey use it from time to time. And, I'm, and they don't realize that what they're doing in their brain because of what they've learned. And now Peter is getting to the now what? What do you do with the knowledge of your salvation? What do you do with the knowledge of how great God is? And this is the key, guys. Here is the real deal. Think about this. Is because how you respond, okay, not react, but how you respond to the salvation that was given to you also is a key to how you will endure the problems you face in your world. It'll be the key to how you face relationships. It'll be the key to how you deal with the culture around you. It'll be the key of all things that you face. How you respond to this information, this wealth of knowledge about your salvation. And so that is what Peter is discussing here. And let's read our text this morning in 1 Peter chapter 1, in verses 23 through chapter 2, verse 3. It says this, Since you, 
have been purified, have purified your souls in obeying the truth. He's talking about your salvation. Since you know that you've been saved, since you know that God has purified you because you've obeyed the truth, you've responded to the call of God and you've come to him. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit in sincere love of the brother, uh, in the spirit, in sincere love of the brother, and love one another fervently, with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever, because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel has been preached to you. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all guile, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire or crave the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. If indeed you've been saved and you know of God's grace in your life, This is how you should respond. This is the first step. And and now what? Now that you've obeyed and you've come to the Lord and you know that you're saved, and so now what do you do? What is the result? How should we respond as a believer? And because how you respond is going to be one of the keys of how you will endure when you're faced with the many trials that we face from day to day. And so the results of our salvation, the first one is this. A believer must love the brethren. Now that you're saved, now that you understand that the key, part of the key is to understand your salvation, that it's imperishable, it's being prepared for you, that one day that you'll come face to face with the Lord. He is coming back and he's coming soon. And when he does, that you will be with the Lord forever because of his great work on the cross for you. So now what? We must love the brethren. It's interesting in verse 22, it says, through the spirit, insincere love of the brothers, love one another fervently. It's amazing. There's no coincidence here. It's a result of your salvation. This is a natural result. That It's a natural evidence of your salvation. We need or we should love one another. It's important. In fact, in verse 1 John chapter 3 and verses 14 and following, it says, we know we have passed from death to life because we love our Brothers, anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. We know that we are actually believers, that we've responded to his call of salvation when we love the brethren. How do we know what is our response to our salvation? It is simply this. We should love the church. A natural response is to love the church, to love one another. 
when it's talking about the brethren, it's the ones who've been called out of death and into life. This brotherhood that you've been called to, this this family that we've been adopted into. It's amazing as we look at this. This is what we've been born into, the family of God. And the next question we should be asking is this, is, is in what ways should we love one another? Well, pastor, what does that mean? Does that mean I have to forgive when somebody hurts me? Yeah. Does it mean, do I have to like everybody in church? I guarantee sometime or another you will not like everybody in church. It's just a given. There will be, heaven forbid, there's going to be a day when you don't like me. But the Bible says you must love me. It's totally different. It's not about likes. It's not about feelings. It's not about emotions. It's about what God has called us to. And this love for the brethren, this love for the church is actually designed by God to be part of this way for us to endure the things that we face outside the, in the world. In what ways should we love one another? And it's amazing because Peter is very specific in our text. How should we love one another? Well, the first thing is, is believers should love like a family. Let that sink in for a minute. Believers should love like a family. This is an extension. You've heard me say it many times that I love our church family. God intended for this to be a family that supports our other family. To be a family that this is our larger family in the family of God. One day, this family and all the other families that are meeting today and meeting at other times, we will be one giant family worshiping our Father in heaven together one day. So you can try to get away from your church family members, but you, you will be brought back together in perfect harmony with the Lord. So you better start learning to love this church family now because you will spend the rest of eternity with each other someday. There's a thing about it though. Think about it. When I say love like a church family, let me ask you a question. Who knows how to poke your buttons the best? You know, doesn't our brothers and sisters and our mothers and dad know just how to push that, that spot perfectly? They know how to irritate you. They know how to get under your skin. They, think about it. Is every family perfect? But he says that we should love like a family. That's what he's talking about when he says love this brotherhood. He's, it's a, this love like a family. It's the Greek word for phileo. It's a brotherly love. It's a familiar, familiar love of one another. What's amazing is, is not only is your family that knows how to irritate you, right? Think about it. We will irritate each other. But we also, as a family, know how to comfort, support, 
stand with, protect, and, and, and to just to take care of. That's the idea here. I like what Jesus said in Mark 3. It says, who are my brothers and who are my mothers, he asked. And then he looked down, those seated in the circle around him, and he said, here are my mothers, here are my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brothers, is my sisters, and my mother. When Christ said this, he began to exalt the family of God and the importance of the church family. The, the, the idea of being a family of God. In fact, in 1 Timothy, uh, God gave Timothy instructions about how we treat one another. And he says, in chapter 5, he says, Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. He says there's this family part of church. So the question is, is what, what ways is God calling you to show family love to one another? How is God calling you? Is it to love on one of the church members who irritates you because they are your family? Is it to support someone that you struggle with? Is it, is it, what, what, you know, it's easy for us to go love on somebody that we like, but it's harder to support and to love the people that irritate you, right? My sister ran away from home. She struggled with family life. She ran away from home. And, but after five years, and she'll tell you of misery, she ran back to family. It was starred to be on her own. She realized that having the love of, of the family, no matter how much they irritate you, is better than having no family at all. Family life is important. In family life, church family is important to the Lord. Believers, not only that, but the second thing here is believers should love one another sincerely. In fact, this word sincerely in the text, the English word sincere comes from the Latin word sincera, which means without wax. You see, back in the day, during the, this time, during this period of time, they would uh, sell pottery, Right? They had the Uncle Jesse stand uh, down in, you know, on the street there. And what they would do is they would have these potteries sitting out there and people would walk up and they would take the pottery and they would look at it and they're like, oh, it's beautiful. It's smooth. It, it looks good. And then they would hold it up to the sun to see if any light came through any parts of the pottery. Because it was standard practice that if there was a crack or a defect in the pottery, that the, they, they would wax it and they would put wax in there so that way it would hold water to stand the you know, test and to feel smooth and so that way 
you could not see the defect. So they would take the wax and hide the defect. And so God is saying here is, is that our love needs to be for one another without wax. Does it stand the test of the sun? And so that way, are we waxing ourselves so people don't see the cracks? Or are we acting sincerely towards one another in our church family? Or are we waxing one another? You know, what's amazing is, is greater love, right? You, 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 if you follow that context of that verse, you say, greater love has no man to lay down his life for one another. But, you know, I find that greater love is applied in our family life when people know our cracks and love us anyway. That's what God is saying. If you realize your salvation, you realize how great God is, the result is is that we need, we must have, we must have brotherly love. And we need to love each other sincerely without hypocrisy. Sad, this is not the love that we see today in churches. We see a lot of wax. A lot of wax in the preaching, a lot of wax in the singing, a lot of wax in the pews, a lot of just, there's just, let's just wax everything over. Nobody can see the cracks. But you know what's crazy is that God has filled our jars of cracks, right? With the most precious gift ever. Right? If you read in Corinthians, he tells us that we are just jars of clay, broken jars that he puts his spirit into. He loves to fix our broken cracks, and he uses the church body to do that. Love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the living through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. The other idea here is is that God is calling us that believers should love like God has loved. That, yes, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrated what love is. It didn't have to do with perfection. It didn't have to do with likes. It didn't have to do with anything other than a sacrifice. Sometimes, Just in order to love one another, it takes a sacrifice. The joy comes when we are obedient and we give sacrificial love. The joy is not in the sacrifice. The joy is in what God does with the sacrifice. God loves it when we love from our heart. The difference is about this love is, you know why this love is difficult? It's not because it's loving like God. And God's love is perfect, but God resides in you and he's given you the ability to love the way he loves because he's given us the Holy Spirit. We can love sacrificially. Agape love, we can. The difficulty is that this love is based on an attitude of choice and not an emotion. It's not an emotional response. It is a choice. It's an attitude that we have to practice. And it's difficult. It's what 
actually is the glue in all of our marriages, is this sacrificial love. God loved us while we were still enemies. Romans 5.10, we love because he first loved us. This is so important. The other thing is, is that it needs to be a love that's fervently and deeply. You know what is amazing about this word fervently? Um, the idea of this deep, deep love? is It's an actual athletic term. In the Bible, it was used, in the Greek term, it was used of athletics. And it means to stretch to the full limit of a muscle's capacity. It's to stretch the muscle to its fullest capacity. If I tried that right now, things would pop. But you know what God is saying when he says love must be fervent? It means your love has to stretch in order for your love to grow. Trainers will tell you that in order for your muscle to be effective, it has to be stretched one of the and it was kind of a a eye-opening for me because I I lived for sports when I was young I was very athletic when I was young grr you know I got a relative right I for many of you I am young but (laughs) but I went in because I was having major back problems and the therapist said Here's your problem. It's because you're not stretching your hamstrings. Your hamstrings are pulling your back out of alignment. Because I do. She goes, yeah, you do have, I have ruptured discs in my back. But the problem wasn't because of the ruptured disc. It's because I wasn't stretching my muscles. And they were tightening up because of not being used. And it was kind of like, for an athletic person, that's pretty humbling to hear that you're not using your muscles correctly. Well, guys, when it comes to love in the church, a lot of times we refuse to stretch it. Why? Well, those of you know that have been to the therapist know that therapy is what? Torture, right? They get the wrong word. It's not therapy. It's torture. They stretch you. And it's painful sometimes. It doesn't always feel good. The results are great afterwards. It's beneficial, but in the stretching, and we avoid any form of stretching. He's saying, we got to stretch this love. We have to fervently love one another. Stretching ourselves in order for this love to truly be deep. God will often put church family members in your life, in your way to stretch you. Think about that. His plan is not to irritate you and to try to push all your buttons, but his perfect plan is for you to understand what his perfect love for you is in those circumstances. I like Galatians chapter 6. He says, bear Bear up one another's burdens. Let us not become weary in doing good, for in the proper time we will reap the harvest if we do not give up. Don't sow of the flesh, sow of the Spirit. We, so many times, when we're dealing with hard things in church, we run and we don't stretch. 
and we give in to the flesh instead of planting things of the Spirit, trusting that as God stretches you, it will be beneficial. It may seem like torture now, but it'll be good later. Don't give up. That's why I look forward to this stretching time in Africa. It, it is fearful. I don't speak French. I don't speak, you know, Togolese. They're all the different dialects they have. I don't understand their culture. Praise the Lord for all the people that will be around us to help. Praise the Lord I can ask questions. Pray that they will give me good answers. There's so many things that can go wrong on this trip. It is a little scary. But it is also extremely exciting about the benefits that wait us on the other side. You know what's really interesting? And I've taken the time to really push this point that we must love each other. We must love the way God sets out here because it will help us to endure the hostility around us if we love each other correctly. And people say, well, why did he put this verse at the end of this? Did you notice at the end of you must love each other fervently with a pure heart? Look at verse 23. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. The living and abiding word of God. Why does Peter talk about the word of God as an imperishable seed right after the command of believers to love one another? And then he says that we are all like grass. We're all going to be blown away. Grass comes, you know, we know during the middle of the summer, all year the grass grows uncontrollably, right? Like ours, I think, was about this high at one point uh, in our fields. And then all of a sudden it dies. Right? It stops growing. We live in the Northwest. Luckily, our grass grows a lot longer. When I was in Israel, there was beautiful flowers on the hill. The next day, a wind came, a hot wind. It blew over, and they were gone just like that. How many people know that all the hills around L.A. are filled with beautiful orange and purple flowers? Anybody see those? Yeah, if you've seen them, you've seen them at the right time or you've looked at a picture somebody took. Because one day they're there, we've literally gone down to a conference, three days later, driving back through, they're gone. That's the way our life is compared to God. Why does Peter talk about this? Someone might look at the command of love. You may be looking at this command of love and say it is too difficult. It is too hard. I can't do it. How is it possible to love that way? Because of this, Peter reminds us as believers again of their new birth and how that they've been saved. That they were saved not by the flesh, not by something corruptible, but they were saved by something that was perfect. You were given a perfect seed in your life. Think about this seed. A seed has great power. Have you ever imagined, you see those big, giant trees, right? 
we moved from the redwoods and we had trees that were like 20 feet in diameter, it's, you know, trees that we drove through down there. And, but they, they started from this, this insignificant little seed. And under great heat and stress, popped forth and began to grow a tree. And in the perfect conditions, can grow 12 feet every year. Yeah, planting a redwood tree is like planting a weed. They grow uncontrollably. You cut them down, they grow right out of the trunk. Literally. It's amazing. Three redwood trees out of one trunk will grow sometimes. They cut them down because they're dangerous. Because they break right at the trunk. But a seed holds great power. It may not appear that powerful when you look at a little bitty seed, but implanted in your life and growing, and that's what the Word of God is. He's reminding us that it's this imperishable seed, this mighty seed in which God has given you through His Word can help you love the way that He wants you to love. And the second thing in this text is this, the results of our salvation. We might love the brethren, but we also, not only that, but we must take off the clothes of sin. And this is important to understand. And the very next thing he says is, is now that you've received this word, this gospel, which has been preached to you, therefore, because of what has been given to you, lay aside all these things, all these dirty clothes, all these sinful things in your life. Throw down the ugly clothes. Pick up the new clothes. And here's the thing. We can't love if we keep on the old grave clothes. The old sinful clothes of the life. If we're not taking them off and putting on new clothes, we're still, we're still living in sin. Get rid of all of these things. Because you can't love each other if we're just living in this. The, the Greek word literally rid yourself means to take off, take them off. Ephesians 4 says that we need to put off these things of the old self and put on the new self. We can't go on with these things in our life. Look at each one of them. It says, put off malice, put off guile, put off hypocrisy, put off envy and evil speaking. It's a call to get rid of sinful attitudes and actions in our life. So that way it fits with the previous command of love. If we're going to love, we must get rid of any divisive attitude or sinful action. Malice is the word that is used for evil generally directed at someone. When we think evil things of someone, when we do evil things towards someone. Deceit is the desire to trick and deceive someone for gain. So sometimes we live in deceit because we want people to think better of ourselves in church life. we got to get rid of that. Hypocrisy, that two-faced and not genuine living. Envy, which means the desire uh, or uh, being jealous of what somebody else has. Slander means to defame somebody's character or person through the use of words. If we're going to love the church body, these are the things that we've got to take off. Recognizing these things. In order to take these things off in our life, we've got to recognize these attitudes and actions are sinful. We've got to continue... Oop, I'm hitting the wrong button. 
I hit the home button, so we're out of luck. So we've got to recognize that these attitudes and actions are sinful. We've got to confess them before God. If we're going to take it off, this is how you do it. You say, you know what? My attitude stinks. Recognize that it does. It stinks before people and before God. We confess them before God. And if you've slandered somebody, you've talked about somebody, or you have bad feelings for somebody, confess them before others. It's amazing what Jesus said. He said, before you take communion, if you know that you've wronged somebody or you know that somebody has something wrong against you, go talk to them before you take communion. Confess before others. And that's the hardest one. But repent by forsaking these things and actions. How do we take it off? This is the four-step process. Believe it. Do it. Trust it. Don't believe what Satan has said, that if I confess my sin to somebody, they will ridicule me, they'll think bad of me, and I will lose my standing in church. That's a lie of the devil. Because we're called to love, support, help, heal, forgive, love, and apply that salve that God has given us to each other's life. You will get hurt sometimes. That's just the way it is, because we are faulty people. But if we worry about getting hurt all the time, then we will not experience the true love that God has planned for us. We must take off the grave clothes, we must take off the sinful things, and we must desire the word of God. We must desire the word of God. By the way, he doesn't say read the word, you know, he doesn't say study the word, read the word, memorize the word. He says we got to crave it. we got to have a desire for it. it. It's greater than all of those other things. If you crave the word of God, you'll memorize it. If you crave the word of God, you'll study it. If you crave the word of God, you'll read it. If you crave the word of God, you'll use it when somebody hurts you. Or when the world hurts you. You have to crave it. Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Do you trust every word that's written in this book that's living, it's active, it's powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword? It can, two-edged sword, it can defend and cut all at the same time. It's a great tool. And it's bigger than that. That's a wrong use of it. It's, it's not just a tool, it's God's complete love for you. Jesus, Job said, Job, right, who went through some of the greatest trials known to man, said, I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my daily bread. Job 23, 12. David said in Psalm 19, Psalm 19 spans the largest chapter in the Bible, primarily talking about his love for the word of God. He says in verse 77, your law is my delight, And Psalm 18, open my eyes that I may see your wonderful things in your law. Psalm 9, how can a man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. You were saved by the word of God. The world was created by the very breath, by the word of God. And now he says, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow up by it. This is one of the reasons that there are so many struggling Christians. 
as we are not allowing this seed that God has planted in us, his word, to take root and grow in our life. It's interesting to note that the Greek word here in the text, when in this passage, literally means that it, it will grow you. You're struggling in your walk with God and your faith and your trust. The word of God will grow you. It is the perfect nourishment that you need in your life for all things. And yet the word of God is one of the things that we probably, not probably, that many minimize in church life today. How do we crave and develop a healthy desire for the word of God? It's very simple. You've got to take off those grave clothes. If you want to get rid of disease, destruction, and despair, you've got to take off the grave clothes. Take off those things that are deteriorating. Take off which, that which stinks. If you want to smell better, you've got to apply the deodorant. Right? Those of you that have boys know what I'm talking about. If you've taught a class of fifth graders and sixth graders, you know what I'm talking about. I'll never forget the day I, first day I walked into my son's fifth and sixth grade class. And it, it was like 35, I don't remember how, it was so cold outside, but yet the teacher had all the windows open. <laughs> it was for her survival. <laughs> it was gross. It's like, oh, we need to bring your, she doesn't need more paper, she doesn't need more books, she needed, and she had a whole class of boys, one girl, I felt so bad for that girl. She needed a case of deodorant. <laughs> we need a case of God's word applied daily in our life. We got to get rid of sin. We, you, by the way, a wise man once said, sin will either keep you from this book, or this book will keep you from sin. I know Howard Hendricks said it, but I, I heard a similar quote by Spurgeon. I've, I've heard it passed around by many. Don't know where it began. But you've got to begin to force yourself to read the Word of God. By the way, when you get dehydrated and you're, you're dying, and you don't have enough liquid in your body, because our body is made up, uh, Kevin could probably tell you, but it's made up of like some crazy number of amount of water. We're Barely even, that's amazing because we're just barely held together by anything that's solid. But when we get dehydrated, we're going to die. What do they do? Oh, here, do you want some water? You know, we'll give you a little bit of water, right? No, they shove a thing in your vein and they pump water into you. You need water now. It's not, you, you, you have to force the water in to save you. Guys, We've got to crave the word. The response here is this. That not, we must love each other. We must take off the sinful clothes. And God's going to reveal you what those clothes are every day. And the more that you desire the word of God, we've got to force it into our life. How you respond to your salvation, the salvation that's been given to you, also is one of the keys to enduring the problem in our world. If you're not doing the Peter saying, look, you know that you're saved, you know how great God is, so do these things. 
first three things out of Peter's mouth to the church. And this is, I pray that the Holy Spirit will reflect on how important this is. Here it is, guys. You want to endure the world around you? You want to endure church? How do we just endure church? Let's leave it at that. People come to me and it's like, I, man, I just struggle with church. There's so many sinful people in it. Well, this is how you do it. And I said, isn't it great that we want another sinful one like you too? <laughs> I said that to a person. Now, they weren't very sensitive, so I knew they could take it. <laughs> but don't say that to somebody that complains about church. and hurt, you know. The Bible says carry one another's burdens. So fulfill the law of Christ. Love one another. Carry them. Love the brethren. Take off the old icky clothes of sin. Look for ways to get rid of sin in your life. And so that way you desire the word of God more. That is the culture that we have to have in order for church family to grow and to endure the world around us. Lord, I pray that maybe your word has struck a chord in our life. And, and Lord, rather than discouraging us, I pray that you will use your spirit to encourage us that as maybe there is something here that you say, that one of us here say, I need to work on this. And I didn't realize how important this was and how important the church family is in the eyes of God, this, this, this entity that you call the bride of Christ. Your bride, the church, Lord, I pray that you will encourage us to see how important it is that we call this church family and how we come to the ability to truly love one another by taking and looking for ways to get rid of sin and, and looking for those sinful things in our life and getting rid of them and, and just craving your word more. And as we crave your word, that as it reveals sin in our life, that we'll be strong enough to say, Lord, I need you. Lord, forgive me. And Lord, that they would seek forgiveness from others that maybe that they've hurt. And Lord, that, that we would come together as, our, as a loving church family who is imperfect, who does hurt each other, but also can love each other with your perfect love, your love that casts out fear, your love. Lord, I pray that we would desire this love that, Lord, forgives sins that can over look over a multitude of sins, not just little sins, multitude. Lord, may we desire your word and it grow our love for one another, that it would be a love that would provide perfect peace in the time of trouble, that it would be something that, Lord, would help us to be secure in the worst of times and in painful times. In times when, we're, when our family is being hurt, our family is at home, our family is in the community, or our family is within the church. Lord, help us cling to your love. This love that you died on the cross for our sins. That you've provided us with an amazing amount of joy and peace and laughter during sorrows. A, a love that calms the fierce of all storms that seems like it would kill us. But Lord, you are there to hold us, 
and to love us. May, Lord, we grow in that love in which you have loved us. This through this abiding word that abides forever, that doesn't fade, that doesn't go away, that doesn't burn up because of the culture. We can trust your perfect word because, Lord, you are perfect. And so, Lord, we praise you and we humbly ask for your help in all the things that we face today. In Jesus' name we pray.